1: Hello, hello, and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things food with your favorite chefs, food influencers, and Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have a pastry chef on the podcast talking about how growing up on a commune in Vermont influenced her perspective and her advice for frustration-free baking. She is a pastry chef, cookbook author, educator, and the star of Zoe Bakes on Magnolia Network, It's Zoe Francois. Zoe, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? And more importantly, what are you baking up today, if anything? (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: Yes, hi.
1: Hi. Hi.
2: Um, Okay, so let me tell you, it's been like 100 degrees in Minneapolis, which is so crazy for us. So it's been no-baked desserts (laughs) here. So, yeah, trying not to turn on the oven too much. But I am working on a new cookie book. So testing lots and lots of cookies. It's been awesome. Who are your taste testers? Oh, well... My two sons and my husband <laughs> for sure, but then I also enlist the entire neighborhood. All <laughs> lucky my lucky neighbors the neighborhood. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I discovered because I've I, I go to the gym and my eldest son works at the gym that <laughs> all of the guys that work there eat a lot. <laughs> and they are the best people to bring baked goods to. They love them. um, And I'm teaching them how to like give me critical feedback.
1: (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It's awesome.
1: Uh, That's great. Well, I mean, your relationship with sweets is a very interesting one that has evolved over time. You grew up in a commune in Vermont in the 60s, had no idea what sugar even was until you started kindergarten. In fact, your parents told you that raisins were candy. Have you forgiven them yet?
2: No, 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 no. And in fact, my mom is here visiting. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to remind her of this and we'll have to process that.
1: While she's here. Still working through that.
2: <laughs> yeah. And the, I mean, the raisins were one thing, the raisins were bad, but it was the carob. That was mm. really, that's, I don't that's think a mean there's trick. Ever, I don't <laughs> think there's forgiveness ahead of me for that.
1: Um, can you talk just a little bit more about what life was like in that community and why that shared, you know, sustainable philosophy of living really appealed to your parents and aligned with who they are?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so interesting because it's turned out to be such a formative thing for me and my food philosophy, But at the time, I did not appreciate what was going on, (laughs) you know. And my dad, um, it was really my dad that drove us going and living in that way. And he was so connected to the land. He was really the person who drove the gardening and... It was really his vision and he uh, kept bees and he did the gardening and we had our own animals for the dairy and then also the meat. And we made everything and canned things. Um, So, yeah, it was really um, quite something And just felt very normal because that was my childhood. So I thought everybody ate like that and lived like that. (laughs) Um, And then I went to kindergarten and realized that there was a whole world in all those other lunch boxes that I knew (laughs) nothing about. That was quite an education just in the lunchroom. So,
1: yeah, I'm sure. I mean, do you remember that realization kind of hit you? I guess. Like, yeah. was there a specific yeah, yeah, yeah. treat or something that somebody else had? Oh, yeah. I, uh, one of
2: my friends opened his lunchbox and there was a Twinkie. And I was
1: like, <laughs> first
2: of all, it was wrapped in plastic, which I don't think I'd ever seen before. And then it was just like this golden cylindrical thing with this white cream in the middle and it (laughs) smelled sweet. I don't know. I must be a better salesperson than I thought because I got I traded him like probably an all grain (laughs) banana and home home ground peanut butter sandwich for that Twinkie.
1: I mean, uh, I think he
2: probably regretted it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that sounds like a great trade as an no, no, adult. No. But yeah, as, mean, a, right, as a right, five right. year old.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, today I love that. But, you know, we're talking the days of Wonder Bread and, you know, uh, people were not grinding their own peanuts to make peanut butter. Now, <laughs> now that's a that's a thing. But back sure. in the 60s, that was just not being done. So, yeah, so that was my first. And I went home and I'm like, what are you people trying to, you know, raisins are not candy. (laughs) There are Twinkies out there and I am going to find all of them.
1: (laughs) I mean, now that you have the benefit of, you know, looking back at that time, what principles from that way of living have stayed with you and, and in what ways have you evolved? Okay, so here's
2: the secret. And uh, I know my boys are going to grow up to tell this story, so I might as well just put it out there. I did the same thing to them. I did (laughs) not give them candy. I did not give them sugar until they were like school age. So even though I resented my parents for it and I like made a career out of eating as much sugar as I possibly could, I ended up doing the same thing as a parent. (laughs) Hilarious.
1: That's amazing. Um, I mean, how overall, how did it you know, shape your food perspective that you have today?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that I have such an appreciation for where food comes from. Like, I grew up always knowing that, you know, I, I sat under the vining tomatoes in a garden and I knew exactly where that tomato came from. I watched my dad plant that seed. So, I mean, I feel like I had this understanding of what went into growing food and making food, we made our own butter. We would sit around. I mean, it was a commune, so there were lots of us. And we would, it's probably the first thing I remember making as even a toddler. I had my turn at churning the butter. It (laughs) sounds like Little House in the Prairie, but it was, you know, that's how we got there. That's, you know, so I think... I just have this deep appreciation for where food comes from, how it's made, just an unending curiosity about how all food is made and how, you know, other cultures of food. And, um, I'm just always looking to sort of figure that out and learn from it. And it really sort of shaped my career choices, but also who I am as a chef
1: mm-hmm. I mean, your your first career choice was at Ben & Jerry's as an ice cream cake maker. Do you feel like this is where that love for beautiful, sweet treats started to bloom? Okay, so can I just tell you
2: the honest truth? My yes. very first restaurant job was actually Wendy's. Oh, really? <laughs> so not sexy, but... Um, I did run the Frosty machines. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> so <laughs> it is a trend. I it did is. Go from Wendy's, Frosty's to, to Ben & Jerry's. So Ben & Jerry's was the first place that I got to cake decorate because I was the person, not only was I a scooper, but I also made the, like, bur- the uh, ice cream cakes, and they put a piping bag in my hand and said, decorate this. I feel so bad for that first person who got the very first (laughs) cake that I had to write happy birthday on the top with a piping bag and whipped cream. I don't know if they could even read it, but, (laughs) um, but I loved it. I think that was the moment where I was like, this is like a thing. This is a job. Um, so yeah, that was my first real love (laughs)
1: Yeah. And and then you had a, you know, an entrepreneurial venture in college as a business assignment. Can you tell us what you learned through Zoe's cookie cart?
2: Yeah. I mean, I have to say that, um, academics in school were not the most exciting thing for me. So when I, I took, uh, this business class and he assigned us to write a business plan, And it was the time of like Famous Amos and um, Mrs. Fields Cookies and all of these sort of new gourmet cookie companies were sprouting up. And so I wrote Zoe's Cookies as my business plan. And decided that seemed a whole lot more exciting than sitting in this business class. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually went, took out a little business, a little loan from the bank, started this business, and um, made cookies and sold them out of this beautiful cart that my then boyfriend, now husband, built for me. Oh, and it was—I uh, mean, I had no clue what I was doing like zero. (laughs) I didn't actually know how to bake. Um, I didn't know how to run a business and I just learned so much from doing that. Um, especially I learned how much I love to bake and sort of figure that stuff out. It definitely taught me mostly that I needed to go to culinary school.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, is that, is that the moment that you kind of realize that you wanted to pursue that as more of a like professional career?
2: Um, I would say, you know, I did that. I did take a semester off of uh, going to UVM, the University of Vermont. But, you know, I had gone overall. I went to 16 different schools, but the lat, the high school that I graduated from was a private boarding school and I always envisioned myself in an office. Like, I thought I would have this like suit because I grew up in a commune. I was like obsessed with people in suits. <laughs> <laughs> and I always like envisioned that for myself, which is hilarious. And so I didn't really see this as like a legitimate career yet. And it was really later when I was working in an advertising agency and just working in a cubicle, not at all happy with what I was doing. And I would come home and obsessively bake. And it was actually my husband, who I was probably driving crazy, who (laughs) suggested, why don't you go back to school and study, you know, go back to culinary school. And so he really saw it before I did. And that's exactly what I did.
1: So during your time at the Culinary Institute of America, you also crossed paths with Andrew Zimmern, who we just had on. Uh, uh-huh. You became his pastry chef. How did you guys initially become acquainted?
2: Oh well, I was at the CIA, and he apparently contacted them looking for pastry. Students and put me in contact. So, my very first initial contact with him was over the phone. He hired Mm -hmm. me over the phone. Boy, did I not know what I was like showing up to. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. He was, you know, I mean, you know, Andrew, he's a huge character. I had no clue from that phone conversation, what I had just entered into, and it was fantastic. So I left school. I didn't graduate from the CIA. I went into basically the education of Andrew.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I feel Um, like that's a pretty good education, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because
2: I would have to say that, you know, at the CIA... I was learning the culinary arts and the craft of what I wanted to do. And it was, oh, it was amazing. And I only studied baking. I wasn't there for the full uh, culinary side of it or the savory side. At the time, because I think that they have really changed the curriculum, but at the time they weren't teaching chefs how to run a business. They weren't teaching that end of things. And Andrew was brilliant at it. So not only was he an amazing chef, but also he understood how a chef could sort of parlay this into a living because it can be a rough business to get into.
1: It seems just from the little that I've you know, known and interacted with Andrew that I mean, he is just a wealth of knowledge uh, across a lot of different topics. Um, so what smart. so smart. What what else have you learned from Andrew over the years? OK, I'm not sure he's going to love this story, but we <laughs> <laughs> we used to go
2: to lunch all the time and he would take a camcorder. Do you remember those yes. things? They were like probably the, as, you know, massive. I think you needed two hands to hold them. This is like way before iPhones. And he would record himself eating lunch. Seriously? Yeah. And we'd just be sitting in a restaurant. He'd randomly pull out this massive camera and start recording it. And we all thought he was just ridiculous and hilarious and crazy But he was he knew he like he he had a vision of what he wanted to do and he was rehearsing and he's brilliant. I mean, he just he hones his craft and he's just like you said, he is such a wealth of knowledge in so many things. But that was he knew exactly what he was doing. He we was all be- thought he was before nuts. his time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, totally before his time. Yeah. Now, I mean, now, now you go out to he, eat and everybody's
2: doing it, right? <laughs> now you can't go out to eat without your phone.
1: <laughs> what about <laughs> yeah, so, like he
2: was way before it?
1: He was. Uh, what were some of your first learning experiences working in a kitchen after the training at CIA?
2: Well, okay. So when you go to culinary school, you learn all of the techniques and you learn, you know, so much about, I would say probably most profoundly the for me was the food science, but you don't, get the repetition that you get when you're in a restaurant because you're making something, you know, maybe a few times, but in a restaurant, you really hone your craft. You really get your 10,000 hours in so that you are proficient at what you're doing. I mean... Cooking and baking is like any craft. It's like any art form you have to practice. And there's no better way to do that than working in a restaurant or a bakery and just doing it over and over and over again um, and tweaking things and learning new little techniques and working with other people who are just brilliant at what they're doing.
1: I mean, on that note, you know, when you're in a kitchen working with a team, what would you say your leadership style is like?
2: Well, I have to say that, okay, I have a balance between being very much collaborative and in control. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like I have a vision and I sort of know. where I want to take this dessert or I see it in my head. Like I see where I want this to go. But then if somebody has an idea that's going to make it better, I for sure listen and I am willing to like work with them and, and try new things. And I'm always looking um, to learn things. So it's the only place in my life that I would say I'm a bit anal retentive, a A type (laughs) You know, it's like I really have a plan that I okay. like to stick to. But, you know, and, and working on the show, um, I know we haven't talked about it yet, but there's a, a big team and we're all working together and it just makes everybody um, better. You know, I don't think working in isolation is necessarily the most creative way to be. So mm-hmm. I love working in a team.
1: What do you love about? educating.
2: Oh, okay. So this is something uh, this is again I would say Andrew pushed me into this. Like the first week that I was working with him as a pastry chef, he brought me to a class he was teaching and he said you need to do this because you have a way and he must have seen how I was working with my team at the restaurant. You have a way of explaining things to people that's going to be a natural for teaching lay people how to Bake. I was terrified. I'd never done anything like it. But he saw that and he brought me to this class and I loved it. I I think that as I get older and deeper into all of this, one of the most satisfying things to me is showing people something that they think is going to be so intimidating and so difficult, and stepping them through the process so that it's relatable to them and then watching them do it like, and that I have to say is one of the best things about Instagram and social media as a whole is just, I get to show them something and then almost instantly they're posting pictures of what they Mm -hmm. made. And they're like, they're so excited because they just never thought that they could do that. Even a simple loaf of bread, you know, it's like, So that's really like there's I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it, like just watching other people embrace this craft that I love so much is probably the most satisfying thing that I do.
1: What's it like when you kind of can see that that light bulb going off that moment where they get it?
2: Oh, I get that all the time. It's like uh, people saying I didn't think I liked to bake and i think the problem is that people assume baking is all science it's all math and science and rigidity like you have to do this and there's no creativity and no art in it and that's just not the case there's some basics but um you know i think when i step people through the process they're like ah oh, i could totally do that and they do and then it's like i think it's just you know one step in front of the other until you get to this beautiful end and then they feel the freedom to do more and take on more and so it's so amazing and satisfying and i really think at this point i enjoy the teaching even as much as the baking mm. like i it's just so satisfying to see all of these other people Uh, taking the recipes and making it their own too, like feeling that freedom to like add something of their own and then share it with me.
1: Coming up next, Zoe tells us all about her series Zoe Bakes on Magnolia Network and gives us her best baking tips.
0: absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes.
1: Bombus. big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You bring that passion and that talent for teaching into your show on Magnolia Network, Zoe Bakes, where you walk the viewers through everything from flaky pie crust to quick fold biscuits can you share w- with us how the show came about and what was really important to you to include
2: yeah 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 okay so again oh, uh, andrews just going to keep coming up in this yeah andrew probably way back when he was holding up that camcorder said i think you're going to be on tv and i was like what that's so crazy <laughs> and like no and then i had my boys and he kept bringing it up over the years and I was just not ready. I didn't have the confidence. I was like, you're crazy. This is, you know, you're brilliant at it, but not for me. And then my boys got to a certain age and he brought it up again. And I'm like, okay, let's try this. And we did uh, a project together. And I actually had so much fun. And then, um, The production company came to me and asked me to do a sizzle for a different show. And then I found out about the Magnolia Network. And I was like, that is where I want to be. Like, Mm -hmm. I just love, um, I love Chip and Joanna's way of expressing their passion for their craft. And it was all about the craft. I mean, you really learned how their process was. And I just felt so, such a kindred spirit in that way. Like they really were all about the craft and if it was entertaining, awesome, but it was really craft first. Um, And so I just love that about them. So anyway, we put together the sizzle and uh, it just kept going to the next set of people to watch it. And then all of a sudden Chip and Joanna were watching it. And then all wow. of a sudden I was making a pilot. It was amazing. I mean, sort of a dream come true.
1: Absolutely. And I, I feel like you make these recipes feel so easy and accessible for the viewer, where would you suggest someone start out in their baking journey so they don't get discouraged?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think... Okay, so if you want something really easy and fun and delicious cookies, I mean, it's you don't need any special ingredients to make really um, uh, ingredients or equipment to make a really spectacular chocolate chip cookie. Mm -hmm. And everybody loves them. Of course, (laughs) you know, and it's like. But I have to say that really, I would just start with something that you love. I mean, if you love pie, let's start there. If you love cake, let's start there. And that's the thing is that I feel like the beauty of the show is that I get to bring people through a recipe all the way through it. I like show every little step and try to explain enough about how things go together and maybe just a teeny bit of food science so that they understand why we're mixing a certain ingredient together or using a certain piece of equipment and just make it all make sense. Because once it makes sense, it's not scary anymore.
1: What What are some of like the common mishaps in baking that you've observed and how do people avoid them?
2: Okay, so I would say one of the common ones is ingredients not being at the right temperature. So like if you are making a cake and you have to whip a lot of air into your butter and sugar, if your butter is cold, it's not gonna whip up into this nice, fluffy, beautiful, creamy butter. And so what I always suggest is that people just read the recipe before they start. Like just go all the way through the recipe. That way you know what temperature you're, butter and your eggs are supposed to be, and you'll have them all out. There's this technique that you learn first day in culinary school called setting up your mise en place. And that just means putting everything in its place. I have all the ingredients weighed out. That way there's no surprises when you start your recipe. Like you have your flour right there. You have your eggs at room temperature. You have your oven preheated and your pan set up. It's just like just having everything right there then you're not scrambling then you're not scrambling around and like nervous that you're missing something so just an easy read through
1: when it comes to say like splurging versus saving on ingredients where can you really taste a difference in that extra investment in quality
2: well okay so i would say there's two things that come to mind automatically and that's vanilla I always use pure vanilla extract. Mm. I actually always make my own because I just find it. That's that's
1: on brand. (laughs) Yeah,
2: it's so easy and so good. So basically all you need are vanilla beans that you can get. I think online are probably the best source for them. Um, You get vanilla beans and vodka and that's it. And you shake those two things together. You cut the vanilla beans open, put it in the vodka, shake it up. You do have to let them sit for quite a while. But then you have the most extraordinary vanilla extract because it has all those beautiful seeds in it, which Mm. give you more flavor. But if you don't have it or you're waiting for yours to mature use a pure vanilla. Don't use the imitation vanilla because it really will make a big difference in your recipe. And then the other place that I would splurge is chocolate. Okay. And chocolates have really, it's like coffee or wine. They have such a different flavor profile depending on where they're from. So do a little chocolate tasting and see which chocolate you really love the most. Um, There's no right or wrong chocolate. It's just really which one that you love.
1: Which one do you love?
2: Okay, so I'm a big fan of Valrhona. um, And they have um, in their line probably... 20, 30 different varieties. So wow. some are from Trinidad, you know, they're, they're just from all over the world. Um, and then they have some flavored chocolates, uh, like passion fruit and uh, guava and <laughs> some really wild, fun things to play with.
1: What about baking tools? What are some that are like absolute must or just make things easier?
2: Yeah. Okay. So I don't know that there's any absolute must. I was just talking to my mom about this recipe that's been in my family since 1910. That's like where we can date it from. It's probably from even earlier than that. My great, great, great grandmother was baking this without even measuring cups. So the original recipe was three handfuls of flour, Wow. you know, and she, she had no special equipment. So, I don't know that there's anything that you can't do with a whole lot of muscle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But on the flip side of that, I would say a stand mixer, if you have the space for it and you have the budget for it, makes life so much easier. You know, (laughs) I mean, it's just for whisking things and creaming things and just getting things together efficiently a stand mixer is, is definitely my suggestion.
1: Yeah. And you can have it for a very, very long time as well. <laughs> it's a good investment. i had, when I
2: started my Zoe ba- Zoe's Cookies company in college, I bought a stand mixer that I still have and still use wow. today. And That's... this is, uh, this is dating me, which is fine. <laughs> I'm, uh, with, but it was 35 years old, that stand wow. mixer. Wow.
1: That's incredible. I love that. Um, Another key element of your show is really, you know, paying homage to Minneapolis and the history and the food community there. How much does having this dedicated culinary community around you affect your own work and your creativity?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, Minneapolis was built on the food industry. We're 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 a milling town. So the entire river is covered with mills, you know, Mm. so gold metal flour was from here. Pillsbury was from here, you know, all of these big milling companies that we know today, but we also have these locally grown single source, tiny, tiny little producers of wheat that are just doing crazy, beautiful things. We grow everything. We are one of the largest apple producers in the country. And the university here has developed, I think, I made, I think we've developed more varieties of apples than anywhere else. It's just amazing. We produce so much sugar beets here. It's funny. I don't know that many people know that a lot of the sugar that you eat comes from beets. We grow corn. Uh, it's just, it's just such a lush, beautiful agricultural community here. And not only that, but the baking that comes from it. I had no idea the sort of baking culture that I was moving into. The sort of Scandinavian and Germanic uh, baking cultures that landed here. There's so much and the restaurant community has really sprung up even since I've moved here. So I have so much that I get to go out and explore Um, and it's really a generous food community. We're a really tight knit group and we share with each other and we support each other and it's just, it's such a, an amazing group of people. And so I am honored that they let me come into their restaurants and their bakeries, even their homes. And, um, and I get to hear them tell their stories and it's really, and church basements. I mean, I'm going everywhere to get (laughs) the stories of this town. It's really, it's been really special to me.
1: I love that. And you also get to be a guest judge with your friend, Andrew, Ah, on Silo's Baking Competition, where home cooks are challenged to perfect a favorite recipe for a chance to have their treat featured at Magnolia's Silo's Baking Company. How was your experience, you know, tasting and giving feedback to these these cooks? OK, so
2: I have to admit that baking competitions usually make me so nervous, <laughs> um, like the anxiety of like having this, t- you know, limited amount of time and being in this weird kitchen that you've never baked in before. And, you know, it's just there's so much this was such a joy. I mean, these people were baking these recipes that a lot of them came from like family recipes and they love, there was so much love. I swear they were like rooting each other on more (laughs) than they were worried about. And this is such the heart of a baker. All of them were delicious. It's like, it was so, I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) I had so much fun. I thought it was going to be so stressful and I loved it. It was so fun to watch them. And it just, they just were such bakers at heart. You know, there was just so much like joy and they were just so compassionate and generous with each other, which is just not what you're supposed to do during a
1: competition. A competition, yeah. They're like <laughs> cheering each other on. Yeah, um, they,
2: total- they were like visiting each other and we're like, <laughs> what is happening? They're just such bakers.
1: Were, were you introduced to like any flavors or recipes that you hadn't experienced before or, or maybe any that reminded you of your own? Yeah, I mean,
2: I think that it was more how they were combining things and what they were doing. And there was one who just was like all in on the sunflowers. And I was really nervous that because sunflowers can get heavy and oily and, you know, and, and this contestant, he made the most beautiful cupcake. And it was like, you really got the sunflowers, but it was still light and, and delicate and beautiful. And I was shocked. (laughs) Was not expecting that. And then another one was like juicing a banana, which I was just like, what are you up to over there? And it was like such a creative way to get the flavor out of a banana. So these (laughs) are like, you know, it's just like things I hadn't thought to do, but will certainly... Um, try. Yeah, you know, this is the lovely thing about, you know, getting to watch other bakers is like I get to pick up tips and try them at home.
1: Yeah. And I, I also love how the, the contestants really weave in their family stories to create these yeah. recipes that they're presenting. Is there a recipe that you have that kind of embodies your own journey and story?
2: Yeah, I mean, I love that. You can, I always say that you can taste the joy and love when you're eating something that really means something to somebody else. And um, I had mentioned this recipe from, you know, that's been passed down in my family. It is the simplest poppy seed lemon cookie, but Mm. it means so much to me. Um, I was just telling somebody about it and started crying. It's just like this recipe has seen so much and has heard so many stories over the decades that it's been in our family. Um, And, you know, every generation has had it and enjoyed it and lovingly passed it down. My grandmother was the first person to write it down when I asked for it. And I didn't even know that until very recently that Mm. before she wrote it down for me, it was only told orally. Wow. And so it had never been put on paper before. And uh, you know, that just, it's really something very significant. This simple, simple cookie just has so much history to it.
1: Has it been has the recipe been tweaked along the way or is it the same exact one that's been made for for decades?
2: I think it's probably been tweaked because (laughs) (laughs) the handfuls of flour. (laughs) Yes, because everybody has different sized hands. (laughs) And so for one person, three handfuls of flour is going to be very different than the next. So I will probably be the first one because I'm obsessed with baking with weights mm-hmm. and getting everybody to bake with a scale just because it's more consistent and it's the same each time. So I will be translating this family recipe into that. So up until now, it's tweaked every single time it's made. Mm.
1: <laughs> so will this, is this going in the new cookbook then? Oh,
2: yes. Yes, Yes. it for sure will. And there's a couple of other of my family recipes that will be in there as well.
1: Uh, Well, I'm looking forward to, to seeing how that all comes out. Yes, thank you. And, you know, even as an expert in your field, a teacher, how do you challenge yourself to stay curious and continue to be a student?
2: Yeah, such a good question. I actually just went to a class and learned from it was a class full of pastry chefs from all over the world. And um, it was my mind was blown, not only at the techniques that were being done, um, but also just the level of passion and curiosity. And it's like, especially, you know, in the last few years when, you know, I've been baking a lot at home alone, (laughs) um, to be in this room full of all of these people. I think it's so important to just keep honing your craft and, and really getting out in the world and keeping myself, um, you know, learning and uh, inspired by other people.
1: I love that that you're continually, you know, learning and, and trying to be better and and all of that as you continue to, to help others do the same. This has been so much fun. We are going to finish off with a little rapid fire round. And then we have one final question for you here. on okay, Food Network Obsessed. Okay. All right. Uh, favorite Ben and Jerry's flavor. Oh, Cherry Garcia. Yes. Love Cherry Garcia. Yes. Love, love, love. It's a
2: classic.
1: Uh, Favorite breakfast pastry.
2: Uh, Okay. It's not sweet, which is so weird. A (laughs) Bialy. Okay. you know what a Bialy is? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. For anybody that doesn't, it's kind of like a cousin of a bagel, but it has like onions and poppy seeds baked into it. Mm
1: -hmm. It's delicious. It's also delicious as a vehicle for a breakfast sandwich. <laughs> yes, it is. Agreed. <laughs> uh, favorite fruit to bake with. Okay. So
2: I would have to say apples just because there's so many varieties of them and you can do so many different things with them.
1: Okay. Most underrated sweet treat. Okay. Uh,
2: baked Alaska. Oh, okay. I'm on, yes. I've been on a quest for a couple of decades to bring back the big Alaska. I think I'm, I'm making headway.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, you'll, you'll have to come hang out with uh, Caroline Schiff. She's got a, a pretty oh, famous one here yes. in New York that we talked uh, I to know her about. It, and I've had it <laughs> it's and so I love good. it. It's so, so good. good. So amazing. Uh, your boy's favorite treat. Okay,
2: Henry, my oldest, is cheesecake. And Charlie, my youngest, is flan. Oh, okay. Um,
1: You have to assign a sweet to embody each season. Spring, summer, fall, winter. What would they be?
2: Okay, uh, spring, for sure, rhubarb pie. Mm. Summer, uh, peach, melba. Yes. Uh, Okay, fall, uh apple tart mm. winter uh
1: sticky toffee pudding oh okay i like that uh kitchen appliance you could never part with well uh okay Ki-
2: uh my stand mixer i was going to say that probably was the
1: the choice. Stand mixer or like scale. Confli- can you look I...
2: conflicted. Yeah. <laughs> well, because I was going to say scale, but the stand mixer, but the scale. Both. <laughs> the
1: scale. Both. You can do both. There's,
2: there's <laughs> okay, no good. rules.
1: Uh, okay, good. Place you'd love to visit that you have not been to.
2: Oh, uh, I think Vietnam. Mm. Yeah.
1: I like that. All right. I love uh, Vietnamese food. Yes. What about Vietnamese <laughs> sweets?
2: Well, okay. So... Yeah, I I the first thing that comes to mind actually is flan. So, flan and then the the I I always make a Vietnamese ice like based on the iced coffee, uh, oh, yes. Coda.
1: Okay. With the coffee Ooh. and the
2: sweet and condensed cream and I the, love that. Yeah, but I'm sure that there's a world of a sweets in Vietnam that I'm so not aware of yet that I would love to dive into. All right. Well, we'll
1: we'll, we'll be on the lookout for for that trip. Okay. Our, yeah, our final question is not rapid fire. This is a question we ask everybody at the end of each episode and that would that is what would be on the menu for your perfect food day. So, breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. There are Definitely, no rules on this question. You can travel, time travel, spend as much money as you want. Okay, you, you know, whatever. What the the world is your oyster. So we want to hear what you're eating for all three of those meals and dessert on uh, on your perfect day.
2: Okay, okay. So it would have to start in Paris with okay. the perfect croissant mm-hmm. and coffee. Yes, <laughs> um, and then I, I would probably go to New York and hit the Lower East Side. So cats is for a hot pastrami sandwich yes (laughs) and then next door to Russ and Daughters for a little perfect like smoked fish situation yes
1: (laughs) I love a smoked fish situation
2: (laughs) (laughs) and then um okay and then to Italy for any pasta for dinner I just crazy for the pasta um, And then I would go to Brooklyn and have Carolyn Schiff's Baked Alaska. Oh, uh, perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's how I would like to end my day. All right. Well, it sounds perfect. She's so she's such a dream, too. So she is.
1: She's the sweetest. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it it, it makes sense that you would end your day there. Um, And and thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us about your life, your shows and everything you have coming up. We are looking forward to seeing what's next. Thank you so much. What a treat. You can watch Zoe Bakes on Sundays at 2 p.m. Eastern on Magnolia Network, and you can stream the first two seasons on Discovery Plus and the Magnolia app. You can also stream Silos Baking Competition exclusively on Discovery Plus and the Magnolia app. Thanks so much for listening and make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday.